Again, we're going to have fun here if y'all want to stay. They're not even paying attention to me. They're out of here. I don't blame them. Praise the Lord. Uh, just join with me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for what you're doing today, Lord. And, and we just ask your blessing on the word as it goes forth, Father God. And um, uh, we just humble ourselves before you and uh, we adopt postures of humility um, to receive your truth with the intent on being doers of it. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as you know, we've been going through the parables of Jesus, and we're going to be in Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 14. That'll be our main text today. <clears throat> and we have uh, quite a few places that we're going to go as we go through that. I'll read through the parable first, and then we'll see where God takes us. Luke 18, starting at the ninth verse. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's consider that for a moment. Both guys went to the temple to pray, right? But Christ Jesus has a problem with one of them. And let's examine these two, the details that were given. The Pharisee lived a life dedicated to religious obedience and righteous living. The tax collector had a dishonorable secular job and engaged in sinful living. Regardless of their different personal stories, both men appear before God at the time of prayer. You know, we all come from different places. Our stories aren't exactly the same, but we come to the same God. Same forgiveness, same salvation, same faith, same spirit. Amen? And our histories and our personal resumes may not be the same, but we're the same before God. But if this parable were about religious performance... The Pharisee would have won that comparison by a landslide. But the Pharisee is in error here, according to Jesus, isn't he? Isn't he? And the reason why is twofold. First, the Pharisee displayed a mindset that trusted in works for his salvation, which is not new covenant gospel, according to Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, let's go back to verse 11 here. And see what the Pharisee did. Now, he's praying to God. The tax collector's praying to God. But let's examine this prayer by the Pharisee. He's standing by himself. He prayed this way. Now, he's not praying this out loud. This is what is between him and God. 
And he starts off, it looks so spiritual. It looks so good. He's thanking God. God, I thank you. That's a good start right there, right? God, I thank you. But let's see how he continues it. But thank you. I thank you that I am not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like extortioners. I'm not like unjust people. I'm not like those adulterers, and I'm not even like this tax collector over here. So basically, he's, he's supposed to be praying to God in humility, thank, being thankful for God that this sinner has been saved by grace. But yet, it's a big pat on the back. God, I come to you. He's not saying this, but God, I come to you in, in, in all my selfish pride. Thanking you that there's a difference between me and these other people I'm looking down on. And not only am I different from them, here's another, I'm going to give you a little bit of my resume here. We're only required to fast once a week. I do it two times. Thank you, Jesus, that, that, I, that, that I'm not only better than these people, I thank you that, that I have the ability and the heart's desire to fast twice as often as I'm required. And I give tithes of everything that I get. So he's thanking God for everything that he himself is doing. So the prayer is about him. When he's supposed to be exalting and praising God, he's basically going before God and lifting and exalting himself. And so it shows kind of a backwards mindset about the gospel because it tells us that it's not of works, but by grace through faith. If it were by works, we would have a, a place to or reason to boast about what we do. But, but we have no ability to boast before God because if it were not for Jesus, we're all in the same boat. The one who lives a, a pious life, the one who's lived a disciplined life, is in the same boat as the one who's lived a reckless life apart from Christ. Salvation is only available through both of us through the same vein. And so we have no position or no reason or no justification to think that we're any more qualified than anyone else for this gift of salvation that we have in Christ. Amen? And so he comes through and he's a little bit proud of himself compared to those others. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. Yeah, he knows he's a sinner saved by grace. And his prayer was very simple. It wasn't pretentious. It wasn't self-exalting. It just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's not a lot of words. That's not a long, lofty prayer. But I tell you what, that prayer is where it's at. Amen? And so, so, so we're going to go on. And that, so, so that's why he's in error. I said his mindset was contrary to what we know as gospel truth in the New Testament, that we are saved by grace through faith. But the second reason why Jesus finds him in error has to do with the attitude of the Pharisee's heart. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Isn't that how we are? Hey, we plan our way. We have our reasons for doing what we do. We can justify whichever way we decide to go. Hey, this plan is right according to me. 
I have no problem with this. It's right in our own eyes, but, but God judges the heart. What does that mean? He, he deals with the motives, the intent. Not just what is perceivable, but what is not perceivable underneath the surface. Every man, if every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Go down to verse four and it says, haughty eyes and a proud heart. It says two things about them. One, it's sin. Two, it's the lamp of the wicked. You know, that's how the wicked, that's the perspective through which the wicked sees everything. <laughs> through, through, through a self-ambitious, through a prideful, haughty thing. And he's saying, people of God, because he's talking to people who are believers. He's talking to people who are following Jesus. He's warning them against pride. The sin of pride. Haughty eyes and a proud heart are sin. And it taught me, it made me think about how God sees differently than we do. And I'm not going to get into this full context of this scripture, but 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 8, you know, when Samuel was going to Jesse, uh, because God told him to go there because the next king of Israel was going to, it, it was one of his sons. And he went through all the sons, but I just want to focus on this one. When they came, verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. All right? So the Lord had a different chosen one that man would not have looked upon first and chosen David, but, but God knew his heart, and God had already selected him for exaltation into kingly leadership. But he did it based on the heart not appearance. So God doesn't, what, how things appear on the surface don't impress God. He's looking for our heart. He's concerned with the motives and, and, and the intents of our heart. Going on to Proverbs chapter 6, starting at the 16th verse. We're going to read 16 through 19, and it says this, there are six things that the Lord hates. How many of you know God hates some things? He's a God of love, right? But there's some specific things that he, he hates. And it says seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, you know, those proudful eyes that kind of looks down on others based on our own standard of holiness, our own self-standard of righteousness. He hates haughty eyes. He hates a lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked plans. He hates feet that make haste to run to evil. He hates a false witness who breathes out lies. And he hates one who sows discord among the brothers. I could preach a month or two on just that. But we're focused on haughtiness today. So it is one of those seven things that are abomination to God. One of those six things that he hates. Haughty eyes was on display by this Pharisee in this parable. So he's speaking to the condition of the heart. Proverbs 16 verses 18 through 20 say this. And it speaks to why, one of the reasons why pride is so detestable to God and why it, we must guard against it with all diligence. And it says, pride goes before destruction. See, pride always leads to destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Think about that. And then we're talking about God's standard. We're talking about God's perspective. We're talking kingdom perspective here. 
it is better to be of a lowly or humble spirit with the poor than to divide the abundant spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Do not be fooled into thinking that you're a humble person just because you gave your heart to Jesus. God hit me with that one. You can humbly receive his gift of salvation and still be haughty and prideful in your attitude toward others. I'm preaching the truth. Matthew 23 verse 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But the flip side is also true. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That kind of, that's kind of antithetical or that's kind of opposite uh, uh, to our, our cultural mindset, isn't it? You know, you got to promote yourself. You got to exalt yourself. Nobody else will. You've got to cut others down in order for you to climb up the ladder. Dog eat dog. The ends justify the means. And if we're not careful, we'll be caught up and absorbed into that mindset. And what we're representing in the name of Christ ain't gospel. It ain't Christ. Okay? We are then being friends of the world. In our attitude, in our perspective, in how we conduct ourselves in regard others. Are you hearing me? And so we're going to have to humble ourselves before God and get into God's word and really pay attention to a lot of what, you know, Steve, I listened to the message. I I, I didn't get to you before. You did an awesome job. Uh, I, I thought what you shared was timely, relevant, on point, and uh, it, it was just amazing. And so we have to grapple with Okay, God, in this time in which we live, how do we, how do we live before God? How do we walk with God? How do we do this and have impact for the kingdom in the generation in which we live? Times have changed. We, like Steve said, we can't pray in schools anymore. Okay, there's a lot more unbelievers than believers in this country. But God's still God. All right? And 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 not only that, that doesn't that doesn't shorten God's hand. It doesn't shorten his arm. It doesn't mean he's any less able to do in and through his church what he desires to do. It it doesn't mean he's any less able to win the lost. Any he's not any less able to save to the utmost those who put their trust in him. Amen? And so, if we're not careful and we have a corner perspective, we'll begin to worry and be fearful because the conditions in which we live seem to be worsening and worsening and worsening, and the country seems to get less godly, and and, and people seem to know the Lord less and love the Lord less. Oh my goodness, everything is going to you-know-where in a handbasket. We're on Facebook, so... You know, and you have voices out there that encourage us to see others than as less than. To see others as the enemy when we are children of the kingdom of God, right? You may not have the story. You may not go to church every Sunday like me, except for last Sunday. You may not pray, you may not fast, you may not have, that, your story may not have been my story. Some of us 
had our parents were people of God. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents. We grew up in the church, lived, slept, ate, breathed the church. All we've known is a life of walking with God. Others came from a totally different place. But like we, I talked about earlier uh, concerning this parable, it doesn't matter how good you had it or how bad it, you had it. It doesn't matter how good your history is or how bad your history is. Without Jesus, we're all going to hell. Apart from him, we're all lost and going to hell. Yes, I know there is some doubt among, you know, people are sowing doubt as to whether or not hell exists. Yes, it exists. The Bible says so. It exists. And those who die without being in Christ, will be there for eternity. And those who die in Christ will be with the Lord in heaven for eternity. I mean, the the word of God is the word of God. That's the gospel truth. Christ Jesus paid the penalty for our sin that we might be reconciled to God. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he gave us this gift of salvation by grace through faith. We couldn't earn it. We can only humbly receive it. And then, while works cannot save us, we find out in the book of James that having been saved, there ought to be works consistent with the salvation that you have. So sometimes, so it's a fine line. Yes, works are expected, but we're not going to put our trust in works and we're not going to use works to puff ourselves up as though we are better than those that may not be walking in the light that we have. But we're talking about pride. I know every one of us pray. But I would encourage us to examine how we pray. Examine how we think to see if it be of the faith, of the way of the Lord. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I brought up James. I'm going to have you go to James chapter 4 or have them put it on the screen. And I want to remind you, if there's any doubt in your mind as to the audience that James is speaking to here, all you need to look at is the first verse of chapter 1 of the book of James and the first couple of verses in chapter 2 of the book of James. These are Jewish believers. People of Jewish descent who believe that Christ is the Messiah. So these are believers, not unsaved people that he's talking to here. I just wanted to clear that, make that clear. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, verses 6 and 7, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many of you know that if you are prideful, God's going to resist you? You can pray. You can fast. You can be as diligent in your religious observance in a lot of ways as you want to. But if you're prideful, you're going to be on the opposite end of God's opposition. He's going to resist you. But if you humble yourself before God, you will find that God's grace rests upon you. It doesn't mean you're going to avoid challenges. It doesn't mean you're going to avoid hardships and so forth. You're going to face them. It's everybody's going to face them. Our faith is going to be tested. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through struggles. All right? But if we're humble before God as we go through them, God's grace will rest upon us, and, and, and he will walk us through those things. 
what we have to do is to not be, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And it's, it can be so sneaky. Uh, we may not even realize it a lot of times. And, and you know, it may not be the wrong things that we're praying for all the time. But if underneath all our prayers, there is a insistence upon our way, things that we want being done in the way that we want them done, being done in the timing that we want them done, that's not a humble spirit before God. That is a spirit that insists on our own way. And I feel it's important to say that and to be clear about that and to challenge us all to be humble before God in that even as we're praying, you know, uh, sometimes we're praying for the right things, but we're praying with the wrong heart. And we don't have what we pray for because we what we're praying for is to meet an objective that we've come up in our own hearts. We've come up with in our own hearts. And it's not surrender to, okay, God, is this what you want to do? And I'm willing for, and if so, I'm willing to let you do it the way you want to do it, when you want to do it, in your timing. And it might be inconvenient for me, but so what? It, it, I must decrease that you must increase. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, if my expectations were not met, if I prayed for something specifically, not only prayed for that thing, but I also prayed for how that thing was going to come to pass. And things didn't quite work out the way that I planned. What do I do with that? Am I humble before God to where I say, God, still, even so, Lord, yes, your will be done. I'm not upset at you, God. I'm not going to stew over, get into my private place and stew over this. I am not going to be thrown for a loop. I trust in the goodness of my God. I trust in the faithfulness of my God. And I know that even though this didn't work out according to my expectations, I know that you have good in store for me. I know you can work this thing out for my good. So I'm not placing demands on the how. I'm not going to worry about the details. Forget the minutia of it. I'm putting this whole thing in your hands, oh God. And I'm going to trust you to do what you will do, how you will do it, when you will do it. And I will just be humble in obedience and say, yes, Lord, just like my Savior. I'll be obedient to death if I have to. Because I stand before you saved because my Savior was obedient unto death. Amen? And so, that's the attitude that this parable deals with. Second Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 say this. And I want, I'll say that after I read the verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Everybody, woohoo, hey, we, we, we amen that. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You know, uh, sometimes you can be saved and spirit-filled and still have lofty opinions that are exalted against the knowledge of God. Again, we're not, this isn't being preached to unbelievers. This is being preached to believers. If it were not possible for us to walk in error this way, it would not be necessary for this teaching. And so we have to, we have to listen to this and we have to make sure that we're paying attention to it and guarding our hearts according to God's truth. So we destroy arguments. 
Now, we usually use this when we're confronted with somebody else's lofty opinions and, and, and prideful opinions. But if you're like me, it's not uncommon for you to be arguing with yourself. I don't hear voices and stuff like that, you know. I'm just, it's, it, it's not uncommon for there to be that inner conflict. <laughs> and, and, and on one side, there's this lofty opinion that's being raised up against the knowledge of God. But on the other side, the, the Holy Spirit is, is using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, who, who is dividing that between soul and spirit is he's challenging me to walk in the way of God. He's challenging me to turn my thoughts toward the God's truth and to walk therein. And, and there, there's another part of me that's, that's negotiating. It's but, but. But we are accountable to God to even confront ourselves, our own high-minded opinions and thoughts. When we begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. When we begin to raise up mindsets and thoughts and ideas and notions that are not biblical. When we hear people whisper things that are, that are contrary to how God says we ought to behave are we going to give into that find a way to justify that or are we going to stand strong in the power of his might and stand on his word and say you know what as for me and my house we'll serve the lord as for me and my house we're going to walk according to god's truth we will not walk in fear we will not walk in unbelief we will not walk in error we're going to stand on the word of God and we're going to obey it regardless of the cost. So we're going to have to discipline ourselves to uh, challenge our opinions and our thoughts to make sure that we're not giving place to or elevating or disseminating opinions that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. Proverbs 16, verses 5 and 6 say this. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Ooh. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That's why it's so important to be humble before God. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. By the fear of God, we repent and we turn away from evil. Pride might cause us to be like Jonah and run away from God's will. Pride might cause us to hook up with Bathsheba. You know, pride might cause us to be like King Saul and do his own thing when God's command was clear on what he wanted him to do. God said, when you were small in your own eyes, I lifted you up. But then you became big in your own eyes and you began to do your own thing. I'm taking the kingdom away from you. There is another one that I'm raising up. He resists the proud. He gives grace and lifts up the humble. And I'm going to finish in Philippians 2. I'm going to ask you to join me there. I'm going to focus, I'm going to read the first 11 verses and then we'll bring this to a close. It says, so, what do we do with this? So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You can star and underline that, uh, underline that the whole verses, but the thing that ties this to, to what I've said so far, it addresses that in this passage. Do nothing, absolutely nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or pride or haughtiness, whatever word you want to use in there. But in humility, everybody say humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's the kingdom way, right? That's kingdom. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to use for his own advantage, to take advantage of. But emptied himself. I, I, I like this translation. But into, other translations say, but uh, made himself nothing. We know Jesus isn't nothing, but sometimes you can lose the context of it. But he emptied himself. He was fully God. Yet finding himself in form as a man, he humbled himself and he, 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 he emptied himself of his rights. of his position, of, of, of his heavenly status. He emptied himself of that and became a humble servant. Became sin for us. He emptied himself. And you know what? God wants us to have that same sacrificial love where we're emptying ourselves. Where we're dying to self. To the point to where it's no longer us that live, but Christ that lives in us. That we're emptying ourselves of self our selfish motives and ambitions, and we're humbling ourselves to do what God requires of us. That God may be glorified. That people may have a genuine encounter with him that they might receive the gift of salvation and be reconciled with him. Amen? And so he wants us to let that be focused. And so let me continue, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what did Jesus say? If you would, anyone who would follow me must take up his cross. Anyone who comes after me must take up his cross and follow me. Have that same level of commitment. Okay, God, I'm taking up my cross. You know, uh, I felt God tell me long ago that the cross was Jesus's purpose for coming on earth was to suffer the cross right so the cross was his purpose and so there is purpose in the cross and there is death in the cross right there's sacrifice there and so if you would fall if you would come after him we must follow his example. Be obedient to the point of death. Father God, I am committed that I'm going to follow you and obey you even though it may cost my life. I, 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 I am in this for the long haul. I'm in this to the end. All right? And so what's going to die is my perceived rights, my right, my American right to do it my way. 
to have it my way. There's certain freedoms that I take for granted. You know, Lord, all of that stuff is dumb compared to knowing you and walking with you. Compared to you being exalted and glorified in my life and through me. Are you hearing me? And so that's what that's what it means. When you're saying, take up your cross. Your God-given purpose. Some of you know it, some of you don't. Eventually, you keep pursuing God, your purpose will become clear. Uh, and until you know what your God-given purpose is, serve God to the fullness of your ability. Serve him and just trust him to open up doors and to make it clear at some point in the future. But you're not going to pursue the thing. You're not going to pursue the resources. You're going to pursue the source. Right? You're not going to pursue what you want from God. You're going to continue to pursue God. And you're going to trust God that he's going to, in the right timing, reveal to you the direction you should go and the thing that he's called you to do. But we keep God first. We keep him primary. We seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all those things that we have need of will be given to us. Amen? Therefore, now, that's what Jesus did. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So Jesus humbled himself and the father exalted him. True is the scriptures that say. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, you will be humble. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our perfect example he exemplified the humbling of self. And because he humbled himself and obeyed God to the ultimate death on a cross, God has exalted him beyond measure. So I want to encourage you today. I mean, you may have some real challenges in your life. And you may be conflicted about what you're hearing today and that you may be tested, you know, your thought process, your attitude. Maybe being challenged right now. And I would say that's a good thing. That means you're, 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 you're turning this over in your mind. You're considering these things. You may not have arrived yet to embrace it, but, but God is dealing with you on this matter. Now, but, but, but I would tell you to humble yourself and receive this as from God. And determine in your heart that, okay, God, your word has been presented. Um, I will not trifle with it. I'm going to do what James says and become a doer of your word. Lord, I've had a prideful heart. There are some things that I observe, some things that I do that others don't, and I've allowed that to leak into my mindset that, you know what, I'm in a better place than them, you know, <laughs> as a result. They're, they're, they're not right quite where I am. And I've kind of walked in a little bit of judgment towards my fellow believers, uh, my fellow brother and sisters in the Lord. I've done the same thing for those who are not believers. And it's caused me to have a hard heart toward those whom you would have me have a soft heart toward. Because Jesus died for them and his desire is for them to be saved, not to perish. Maybe I've thought that some people deserve to perish because of the error of their ways. God forbid that. Because that's, that's not the attitude of Christ. There is, an, there is an haughtiness in that 
way of thinking that is detestable to God. And don't shoot the messenger. I'm just preaching God's truth. There is a pride there that we need to acknowledge and we need to humble ourselves and repent to God if that is our situation uh, in any way. I want to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a moment to do business with God. And I'm, I'm just going to challenge you over these next few minutes. You know, in that parable, both of these men uh, were at the uh, hour of prayer. Jewish believers were to pray three times a day. And this is one of those, this parable is one of those times that they go out to pray daily. Both of these men prayed within themselves. Wasn't out loud. It wasn't where the other could hear. It's between them and God. And you have two options here. The Pharisaic approach or the publican or tax collector approach. Maybe you've been that person that goes before God and and while you're thankful, all right, you're more focused on what you want, what you're doing, what you've done, what you've achieved. Certain things you do that are perceived as going the extra mile over those that are not quite as committed. And you're going before God, but you're not really humble before him and exalting him as much as yourself. Uh, You know, I would say it's time to stop that and repent before God for it and, and, and be more like the tax collector who was a sinner in need of salvation and knew he was a sinner in need of salvation. But even deeper than that, He approaches God. It's obvious he's already a believer. I mean, it's obvious he's approaching God, knowing who God is, and he's been touched by the gospel message, and uh, the implication in this parable is, is, is that way. But he's going before God under full understanding that his status before God is a gift. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with his station in life. It had nothing to do with his disciplined life. It had nothing to do with his prayer life and, and, and how many offerings and tithes he gave and, and how many times he fasted and all that. It, it had everything to do with what Christ Jesus has done for us. It had everything to do With God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that 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 gift of God is to all who would believe and that it is not by works but it is by grace through faith. If not for the grace of God, if not for the sacrifice of Jesus, that tax collector knew he would be lost and dead in his sin. Somewhere along the line, that Pharisee lost his way on that point. Let us not be guilty of the same. Let us recognize that we're all the same before God, but for the cross. Father God, I pray for us all here today that the word of God that has gone forth, that we have paid attention to it, that we've received it, and that, Father God, we even now are applying it, repenting before you where repentance is needed, humbling ourselves before you that you might exalt us in your own way and in your own time. 
Father God, we love you and we are so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, that when we were weak, when we were helpless, incapable or incapable of fulfilling the full requirement of the law, thus being condemned by the law. The sin nature being unable, through that sin nature being unable to perfectly follow and obey the law. That you established a new covenant. A new covenant, Father God, that's established on better promises. Well, you write your law on our minds and in our hearts. Well, you come to dwell inside us. Okay? Because we've died with you in baptism and we've come up again in newness of life just as you were resurrected. Death has no more power over you. But Father, when we were helpless, Christ Jesus came and died for us. And Father, we will not forget that. We will forever be reminded that the salvation that we have is by grace through faith and there's no extra that puts us in a different place. It's by grace through faith alone that we are justified before you. That it is through Christ alone that we are the righteousness of God. And so we remain, we commit to remaining humble before you. Not only in how we see ourselves, but in how we see others, whether they be fellow believers or unbelievers, Father God. We're going to keep our eye on the prize. Have mercy on us, God, as we endeavor to work out our soul salvation with, with fear and trembling, as, as, the, as the work of sanctification is being done in us. Have mercy on us, Father God. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to sin. We're going to miss it. But Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're faithful to convict us and to lead us in all righteousness according to God's truth. And, and we commit to partnering with that and remaining humble and allowing you to mature us in Christ. Father, we thank you for it. Be glorified and exalted in us and through us. In Jesus' name.